Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Second Timothy chapter 2. You should get excited about the word because you get to fellowship with God some more. Aren't you glad about that? Second Timothy 2. So we're talking tonight in our class about enduring hardness in this last day's survival guide class, enduring hardness. Number one on your notes, if you'll notice it on your notes here, if you miss any of these classes, don't, don't forget, you, all you got to do is go back to our website, click on the last day's link. All the videos are on that page. Notes for every one of these classes are right there under the video. So you can always go back and go through any of them that you missed. Number one is soldiers. Say, I'm a soldier. Remember, remember this, you are a warrior, not a wimp. You listening? You are a warrior, you're not a wimp. Why? We're soldiers of Jesus. As a soldier of God, we must be determined. I want you to underline that phrase. We must be determined. What? That we will endure. We must be determined that we will endure any hardness that comes against us in our Christian walk. When you get determined to do something, I will promise you, if you are truly bound and determined to accomplish it, there's really nothing that can stop you. I've given you my testimony before that I, for whatever crazy, wild reason, back at the age of 13, getting on the very first bull I got on, decided I wanted to be a bull rider, I wanted to be a professional bull rider, turned pro. Of course, I wanted to go to the NFR and all that kind of stuff. But the point I'm making, which God kind of interrupted all of that plan, the point I'm making is, is for five years of wanting to be a bull rider, how many qualified rides did your pastor make in five years? Let's see how many. No, you're wrong, Kathy. One. Exactly right. Thank you, Anuk, Josh. Praise God. See, I'm already giving you some. Uh, I'm already giving you some material for next year's Pastor Appreciation Day. So I may think about that. One qualified ride in how many years? I'm helping you. Five years. Think about that. One qualified ride in five years. Now a lot of that, as I've taught you, was because I had nobody that knew what they were doing helping me. I, who did not know what I was doing, was trying to help them. We are the blind leading the blind. We are both giving each other information that's not good, you know. I mean, it's crazy the things that you think really helps one another. And then you start thinking about it. It's like, they're no good. If you really would have thought it out, you know, they're no good at this. I'm no good at this. Why am I trying to help them? Why are they trying to help me? <laughs> we need to find somebody who knows what's going on. But in my day, I don't know if it's changed, in growing up in junior rodeos, I mean, if you weren't very good, the guys that were good, they wouldn't, they want nothing to do with you. They wouldn't even give you, you know, a moment of their time. And so obviously it was difficult to find somebody that really knew what they were doing to help you out. But I was determined. Say determined. determined. Hadn't lost my point. I was determined that I was going to get good at this no matter what. I mean, even my dad, you know, which my dad's pretty hard-headed guy. I mean, he's, he's a pretty determined guy. I mean, after about three years, he looked at me and said, you know, son, maybe you might want to try to do something else. <laughs> maybe this just ain't your deal, man. So I said, nope, I want to do it. He said, okay, man, I'll, I'll back you in it best I can. But I'm going to tell you what happened when I finally, at the end of that five years, got connected with a guy that knew what he was doing. He's a good friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine. His name's Randy Krause. And he actually was very good, very good at what he did. And so he took me under his wing, took me to a bull riding school. He took me to a gentleman's school by the name of, um, oh my gosh, I just saw his face and I lost his name. Can't believe I lost Huh? Joram Robinson, thank you. Uh, a guy named Joram Robinson. Now, back at that time frame, Joram Robinson was the only guy that made the national finals 10 years in a row in the bull riding. They called him Mr. Consistency. And a far, of course, is like the World Series of Rodeo. And so he was our uh, instructor. He did this school that my friend finally talked me into going to. So I went to that school. Now, after that school, within one year's time, say one year, five years, one qualified ride. Within one year's time after coming out of that school, I was the reserve champion for Arizona and New Mexico Amateur Association combined. I guarantee you that's a huge turnaround. That's how much difference it makes to have somebody that knows what they're doing to help you. 
That's why we need each other. That's why we need leadership. But guess what got me through all the hard times? Guess what got me through all the hard times? Determination. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to endure hard times if you're not determined to get through them. You listening? You're not going to endure hard times. Endure means you come out of them successful. Endure doesn't mean you put up with. When the Bible talks about enduring hardness, it's not talking about putting up with. It's talking about being victorious over it. It's talking about coming out victorious, coming out as the champion. So when you endure, you come out as the champion. Amen? It's like you got to kind of think of two people going to battle. One's going to win, one's going to lose. If you endure, guess what you did? You won. So we are to endure hardship, but you're not going to do it with that determination. You got to get this, you know, this quote-unquote, uh, like we talked about faith, well, about faith, this backbone of determination in you to know, my God lives in me. He's bigger than anything I can face. As long as I'm determined to keep pursuing him and doing what I know to do, guess what? I win. I don't lose. So you've got to have this determined purpose in your life to endure any hardness. Say any hardness. I'm going to read this again. As soldiers of God, we must be determined that we will endure any hardness that comes against us in our Christian walk. 2 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 3. For a lot of people, this isn't like a shout, run around the room kind of message, but it really should be because it will help you understand how to walk through these things victorious. Verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship, not an option. You must endure hardship, what? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you know, obviously you're born again. The Bible clearly talks about the fact you're in a battle. God gave you armor because you are a soldier. If you know you're a soldier, you know you're in a battle, raise your hand. All right, guess what, soldier? You must endure hardship. What God's saying is, I don't want you to lose. You're going to face hard challenges in life. Don't let them affect you like most people do. You have to endure hardship as a what? As a what? So if I don't endure hardship, what am I? I'm a bad soldier. I'm not, I'm not walking out what God gave me the ability to do. Bad not, bad not meaning like you're somebody bad. It just means I didn't do what obviously he who enlisted me, Jesus, you know, trained me and taught for me to do. Verse 4, no one engaged in warfare. You are. Like it or not, you're in a, you're in a war zone. You're in a war zone. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now, the, you know, the Holy Spirit just nudged me on that and said, stop right there. So a lot of people think, well, I'm not engaged in warfare. Are you kidding? Thoughts are coming at you every day. Things are coming at you every day. Stuff's coming at you every day. Try to take advantage of your life. Take advantage of your family. Take advantage of your finances. Take advantage of your health. Right? Every symptom that comes, comes on your body, you're facing a battle. You're in a battle zone. The enemy's trying to get you to, take it, uh, get you to take what he wants you to take and take advantage of your life. Every thought that comes contrary to the word of God as it relates to you or what God says you can do or what God says you are. I'll guarantee you, every such thought, that's a part of the battle. So it's not just like you're maybe going through a whole bunch of stuff in the natural of a hardship, but just in the sense of what you deal with with thoughts every day, you're in a battle. So again, no one engaged in warfare does what? Entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now, I want you to listen to that. No one engaged in warfare. You're in warfare. Doesn't mean you're engaged, though. You're in a war zone. Doesn't mean you're engaged. Listen, if you're not engaged, you're going to lose. Because you're in a war zone. You have an enemy. You know this? What's he out to do? Steal? Kill? Destroy? He roams the earth seeking... Whom he may devour, him and his demons. Right? You're in a war zone. If you don't engage in this battle, you'll not endure hard times. If you don't engage the enemy in this battle of daily life, you're not going to endure when hard times come. Because you're caught up with the affairs of this life. You're caught up with things that are more important. It's a battle to get to church. It's a battle to get to the Word. Your flesh doesn't want to. It's a battle with things you got in your day to try to take you away from the things that really should be what are significant and matter, which is all the aspects of relationship with God. Even just talking to God. Right? Even just enjoying His presence in the day. How easy it is, how easy it to go through a day, hours in a day, never even think about God. Never even have a thought about God. Right? 
Because I guarantee you, you have to constantly do what? You have to constantly keep God at the forefront of your life if you want to walk out what God has for your life. So no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. You should be engaged. Tell your neighbor, you should be engaged. Now, I don't mean like engaged to be married. Engaged in warfare. You should be engaged in this battle. And if you do, what do you not do? You do not entangle yourself with the affairs of life. That you may please him. Come on. That you may please him who enlisted you as a soldier. Who enlisted you? Who enlisted you? I know some of you ex-military. When you went into the military, did you get to decide what boot, what, uh, excuse me, did you get to decide what bed you slept in? Did you get to decide when you got up? Did you get to decide when you went to bed? They didn't let you do that. They didn't let you do that. You didn't get to decide that. You didn't get to decide whether you wanted to go actually, uh, you know, go out and train that day or not train that day. Well, I'm just kind of tired, you know. I'm not going to train today. <laughs> they let you do that? I said, they let you do that? Are y'all, are y'all just asleep tonight? No, they don't let you do that. Well, guess what? We have somebody who enlisted us. Right? He needs us in the battle because he needs us what? Not only walking in victory for us, but helping others as well. Verse 5, also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned. He doesn't win anything unless he competes according to what? The rules. There are rules. There, there are rules that govern prayer. How many think that we ought to pray to get results? You ought to make a note of that. I should want to pray to get results. A lot of people pray, but do you pray to get results? Because if you're not getting results, you're doing it wrong. There's rules that govern it that make it work. But if you don't do it according to the Bible, see, I mean, God didn't create prayer like, you know, I, I think of my dad back in the days when I was a kid, and, and my dad got into, you know, shooting skeet and trap. He loved it, man. He did it. I mean, we had one of those loaders out in the garage. Anybody ever seen those shotgun shell loaders? Oh, man. You know, my, you know what he had me and my brother do for hours and hours and hours and hours? We had boxes, man, of empty shells. Guess what you had to do for hours? Come on, boys. Go into the garage. <laughs> we already knew what we were going to do, man. You're going to stick shells in that loader and spin them around and spin around. Load them shells, load them shells. But it was fun when you got to then go out, obviously, and shoot the ski, right? And go do all that stuff. But I'm just here to tell you, when my dad was actually involved in ski, he didn't go out there. Some of you may not understand. How I many of the little clay pigeons? You ever seen the little clay pigeons? They fly up in there and you shoot them, you know, to blow, you know, blow them apart, you know. That's like they have an actual competition called Skeeter Traps, kind of two different things. But you know what they don't do? They don't take the gun out there and just say, pull, meaning, you know, release the clay pigeon. And, the, and then they just go like this. Ding, boom, 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 boom. They don't do that. No, they aim at the target. They're going after what they're supposed to hit. Can I get a better amen? When you go through this life in walking out what God has for you as a soldier of Christ, as it relates to prayer, you shouldn't just be spouting stuff off. You ought to be aiming at a target. You ought to be, you ought to pray to get results. God gave you part of prayer is to communicate with him. But part of prayer is also to get results. Number six, the hard, verse six, the hardworking farmer, the hardworking farmer, I know that's, Kind of sound like a dirty word in our day today. But the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Meaning what? You're going to have to get through hard times. It's going to involve some work. And it's not always going to be easy. But it's going to pay off. Say it's going to pay off. Notice what he said in verse 7. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So what's he talking about? He's talking about walking in victory. He's talking about enduring hardships and becoming and coming through them victorious and coming through them with flying colors. So watch this. 1A on your notes there. The Bible teaches us that we are to live like what? The military. Like a soldier. So if we live like the military, what's that mean again? Uh, 1B. We are to live to please our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to make sure we're doing what we can to live a life that pleases the one that enlisted us. How do you please the one that enlisted you? Exactly, I agree with that. But basically, give me a scripture. How do we please the one that enlisted us? Faith. faith. Hebrews eleven six. It's impossible to please God without faith. What is faith, Donna? Doing what God said to do. Faith is doing what God told you to do. If God told you to do something and you have faith, which is called trust, right? You do what he said because you trust him. So realize that we are to live to please our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. 1C, therefore do not what? Do not get entangled 
with the civilian affairs of this life. Now, I like the fact that this is further defined by Dr. Barclay here, C1. This is not teaching us to not be entangled with the affairs of life. Is not teaching us to be irresponsible toward our personal life and family, but rather not to be what? Consumed with other things in life. We have responsibilities. We have things we have to do. We have family to take care of. I mean, I tell this to people all the time. If you don't want to change the way you're living and you're single, don't get married. Don't do it. If you like the way you're living now when you're single, don't think I'm going to get married and keep living the same way. You've taken on a responsibility. You've chosen as a husband to be a head of a wife, head of a family, spiritually. You've chosen as a wife to submit to a husband, spiritually. So that's going to mean change. Why? Because if you're not married, you're not doing that now. Correct? So responsibility comes along with it. So realize that you and I got to know, he's not saying that you don't fulfill some of those responsibilities, but you got to be careful that those things don't obviously consume your life. And now you have no time for spiritual things. Because the better that you obviously develop in spiritual things, they're going to help you in all, their, all other aspects of life. 1D, this is powerful. So what did he tell you? You got to compete according to the rules, right? The hardworking farmer is going to be the first to partake of the crops. 1D, stick to what Scripture teaches us to do in hard times. Underline it. Say it with me. Stick to what Scripture teaches us to do in hard times. We're about to go over some of that. So when you face hard times, what should you do? What, just basically based on that statement we just made. Stick to what Scripture teaches us to do in hard times. So when I face hard times, what should I do? Stick to what Scripture teaches me to do. Do what the Bible tells you. Because see, it's not automatic in your natural flesh to do what the Bible teaches you when you face hard times. When you face hard times, what do you normally want to do? Whine, complain, right? Get frustrated, angry, fearful. Right? Talk about the problem. Magnify the problem. Is that what the Bible teaches you to do? No. So see, if you want to endure hard times, I mean, want to endure hard times, what do you got to do? Stick to the Bible. Stick to what the Bible says to do in hard times, and you'll endure. You'll walk in victory, which includes rejoicing always, counting it all joy when you fall into various trials. We're going to talk about why you should do that and how you do that. And you will come through these, these challenges, praise God. I'll guarantee you rejoicing in the midst of trials, counting all hardship, a joy in life is a major key to being able to endure hard times. I will promise you. Joy of the Lord your strength. We're going to show you why you should do that and obviously the fact that it's so important that you do so. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad I'm here tonight. Praise God. You're going to be so glad if you'll apply this to your life when you, when you face hard times. I'll tell you, how many, are making a, how many are making a notebook out of these notes and keeping it? Because I'm going to tell you what, man. Uh, these are based off of, you know, what uh, pastor developed of SMTI. I'll guarantee you there's many times in my life that I'll face something as a pastor, face something as a, as a husband or a challenge in life or whatever, and I'll remember, wait a minute, wait a minute. I had a class on that. And I'll go grab my notes. Because now I can go back and review and rehearse what I know I need to be doing. So I'm making sure I'm doing what Scripture teaches me. You don't just automatically think you got it down. You got to keep going back and reminding yourself. Amen? First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Number 2 on your notes. As you grow in Christ, you will be more and more a rejoicer. Who is a rejoicer? One who grows up in Christ. One who becomes spiritually stronger. As you grow in Christ, what will, what will be the result? <clears throat> You'll be more and more a rejoicer, even during times of pressure and hard times. So one of the things we can certainly say is how we respond to hard times reveals a lot about our maturity level as a believer. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. If you're there, say amen. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. In this... In this, Peter said, you greatly rejoice, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. But what should they do? Greatly rejoice. What should they do? What should they do? Greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, you have been grieved by various 
trials. And of course, you know, grieved here doesn't mean that when you go through a trial, there's, that obviously it's not going to have an initial impact on your life to some degree. But what you want to do is immediately address that and then start doing what the Bible said. Verse 7, notice this, that the genuineness of your faith, listen to that statement. What happens when trials come? The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you're going to see this in a minute. God doesn't use tests and trials to try your faith. Life brings tests and trials that will try your faith. You're going to find out where your faith level is, in other words. Right? How genuine is my faith in a certain area? We've all got faith, but in some of our areas of our life, we've got a stronger faith in some areas than, than others. So as you face different enduring hardships and challenges in life, one of the things you should make note of to help yourself is, where's my faith at there? When a hard time comes, how do I handle it? How well do I respond to that? If I obviously am not responding like I should be, uh, my faith level isn't where it needs to be. So how are you going to correct that? Excuse me? Getting in the Word. But more specifically, more specifically, if, if I get my faith tested in an area that I find out it's kind of weak now, read it again. He said that even though you are grieved currently with various trials, he's telling them they should rejoice. But notice what he said. The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes is being tested. It's being tested by what? These trials you're going through. So if I'm in a trial and I find out my faith isn't really up to par, isn't really where it should be in that contest of that hardship, that challenge I'm facing, physical challenge, financial challenge, social challenge, name it. So whatever I'm going through, if obviously I'm not responding like I know I should be according to the Word of God, What's that revealing to me? My faith really isn't where it needs to be there. What do I do about that? What do I do about that? Faith comes by hearing by the... So I need to go get some scripture that obviously somebody's teaching me in that area to start rebuilding my faith. Amen? So we do go to the Word, but more specifically, faith doesn't come by reading. Faith comes by... Now, what, what I like about going to the Word is, guess what you can do? Read it out loud. And if you read it out loud, guess what you're doing? You're hearing it. So understand this. A lot of Christians don't get this still to this day. They don't. Where they get a challenge and a hardship of their life where they don't do well, what should be the automatic response? I need to go find Scripture in that specific area that I'm reading to myself and find teachings of leadership that I know I trust, Right? And that's what's great about the leadership we're connected with. You name a subject that you're going to go through, I can direct you to a spiritual father that had great insight into those areas. If you need help with your aspect of faith, walking in faith or healing, Kenneth Hagin. If you have issues in dealing with challenges with leadership or actually walking out leadership in your life and accomplishing things that you need to do in relationship to being a leader, because all of us are to some degree in life, Dr. Mark T. Barclay. Great on leadership. Amen? If you're dealing with fear about end time struggles, go listen to Dr. Hilton Sutton's teachings. Because it's a time to rejoice when we see these things happening. We know our redemption draws nigh. Amen? So on and on I could go. You want to learn about demons, you're dealing with demons, Dr. Lester Summerall. Teach you everything you need to know biblically. How to, but see, that's what's so great about the benefit of what God does in connecting you with a shepherd because through those spiritual fathers that he knows and has, I guarantee you God's going to give you everything you need to work on. So understand this. I always do this in my life. If I face a hardship that all of a sudden I normally overcome pretty easily and now I'm not, guess what I know? I need to go actually bring more of the word back into my life in that area. I'm going to go back and start listening to teachings that I haven't listened to in a while. I'm going to go back and start replaying those messages. I've got messages on my phone that I've heard of from my spiritual fathers hundreds of times, probably some of them. And I still go back and listen to them. And I primarily focus, what do you listen to the most, Pastor? What I'm dealing with in my life that I'm weakest in. Why would I go keep listening to stuff that I'm strong in? Right? If I'm already strong there, what I need to do is go fortify the areas where I'm weak. 
So areas that I'm facing battles, that's where you're going to find out. If you ever get around me and you start hearing stuff I'm listening to, you'll know pastor's trying to strengthen himself here. Because I'm smart enough to know that's the only way faith's going to come to me. Same is going to come to you. Can I get a better amen? So it's important to go refortify yourself by going back and hearing the word in that area so you can get stronger. Notice on your notes, 2A, the reason that we rejoice, listen, this is powerful. The reason that we rejoice in difficult times is because we know that we are only going to be in these difficult times for a short period of time. It's not going to be forever. Are you listening? Because, you know, some people say, I I hate to put it this way because, you know, it sounds bad. But let's say you went through a lifetime worth of problems. You don't have to. But let's say you did. In comparison to all eternity, man, that's a moment of time. Our life on this earth, this, you know what the Bible calls it? This is it. You ready? Watch. Watch. This is how quick it is. Ready? That's how fast your life is. In the eyes of God and the reality of all eternity. But I'm seriously, ser- but I'm serious. Most hardships, most hard challenges you go through, doesn't it seem like it's going to be forever? Right. Doesn't it seem, or even some of them seem like that? But you know what? Honestly, in the light of all of your life, they're really not. Right. They're really not. They're not going to last forever, praise God. And you got to recognize that and know, I can get through this. I love this. Look at this. 2B, you ready? The tribulations that believers go through are not here to stay. Said so they're not here to stay. John Osteen, not Joel, if you're new to our church, John, his dad was our pastor's pastor for 27 years. They were, they were really close. I mean, John Osteen was like a dad to our pastor because our pastor's dad died when he was very young. Powerful quote by John Osteen, you ready? John Osteen always used to say about hard times, it came to pass not to stay. Amen. When a hard time shows up, oh, it just came to pass not to stay. It will pass. Amen. 2C, the trial of your faith. Every time you go through a hardship, a hard time, a hard challenge, what also is being tested? What also is what is being tested? Your faith is. Obviously. Again, is God doing it? You're going to see in a minute. No, he's not. But these hardships will test your faith, meaning they're going to reveal where your faith, again, where your faith level is. So notice, the trial of your faith is what? It's more precious than gold that's refined by fire. I mean, you think about what people would do to get gold. Remember back in the days of the 1800s when a gold rush would happen? They'd empty a town. They'd empty a town. I mean, I I guarantee you, you can see of uh, historic documents and even documentaries and stuff where, you know, I mean, you see it in the old Western movies, but it it happened. Where a guy rides into town, I mean, almost nobody anywhere. It's like you can't hardly find anybody. And you might find one or two people in town. Where's everybody? Oh, they heard there was a gold strike. Everybody took off. They thought, oh, man. But I'm going to tell you what, more precious than that, come on, more valuable than that, is the genuine faith that God gave you. Genuine means it's not mixed with anything. Amen? You can't mix faith. You can't mix the laws that make faith govern with your own ideas of what you think faith is and see it work. And this is why you're going to see in a hardship how much of a genuine faith am I walking in. Amen? So this is very valuable to me and you. See one, even though God is not the one who tempts tempts us or tribulates us, we still have our faith tested when we go through these hard hard times. This is very valuable for us. You know, in school, if they never tested you, they'd have no idea where you were. Right? No tests, no idea where you learn anything, you're getting any better, getting any smarter. Right? Well, guess what? Not like, and again, God don't bring them. But these tests come to you that you should not look at them as a negative. You ought, to see, you ought to look at them as a positive. This is a way I get to be tested to find out where my faith's at. And I can actually, therefore, get better if I need to. Can I get a better amen? amen. Just like in a class, if you take a test and you got an F, what should you do? Go back and study until you can do what? Bring it back up to an A or a B. And you can do the same thing with your faith. Don't look at it as a hardship or a bad thing in the sense that it's a horrible deal. But just recognize, I'm telling you, you can say, I'm going to get value out of this. 2D, until your faith has been tried, guess what? You will not know the depth of your character and your trust in God. Think about that. See, until your faith is tried, you have no idea the depth of your true character, your determination in life, and your trust in God. People could say they trust in God all day long. Wait till their faith gets tested. Once your faith gets tested, now nah, you're going to find out just how much do I really trust Him. Amen? 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. 
I know most of you maybe know these verses here, but still important for us to add in here as we're talking about the importance of faith in the aspect of the enduring hardships in life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, whatever is born of God, if you are a born-again child of God, let me see your hand, lift it up high where I can see it. So if you're a born-again child of God, that's talking about you. Whatever is born of God, say, I qualify. Watch this, overcomes the world. What do you do? What do you do? Lift your hand again if you know you're born again. So recognize, I've taught you this for years. How many times have I told you as your pastor? Anybody ever heard this statement in this church? You need to find yourself in the Bible. You need to know how to find, you're all in the Bible. Every one of you, we're all in the Bible. We're all through the Bible. I said, we're all through the Bible. Watch this. Whatever is born of God. Are you born of God? You just found yourself again. Notice this, overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Now, I want you to circle, highlight, put, you know, some kind of a specific, uh, you know, directive around those two words, our faith, or make it more personal right next to it, my faith. Because our faith is my faith. So you got to learn there's a point in life. Obviously, thank God if you're a baby believer, how many are glad that even like a parent taking care of a child, a lot of times a parent has to step up and take care of a child when they can't take care of themselves. And thank God God's gracious with us that way. But he doesn't want to leave you a child. And there's going to be a point in your life that you're going to have to realize God's made it intentional that you're going to have to live by your faith to overcome in this life. You can't live off of everybody else's. You can't ride off of everybody else's faith and walk in victory. God says you overcome by what? Your own faith. Verse 5. But notice this. He says it a second time. Who is he who overcomes the world? He answers that question again. But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, how many believe Jesus is the Son of God? So you're of God. So guess what he just said? You've overcome the world. Well, if I've overcome the world, why am I facing challenges? So here's the Greek writing of these verses. You ready? You ready? If you're born again, you've already been given victory over the world. That's the phrase in the Greek language. When it says, whoever's born of God overcomes the world. Obviously, I know people born of God don't overcome the world. I've known believers that didn't overcome. Yet the Bible said they did. Well, what it means is, you've already been given the victory. If you're born again, the victory's already been provided. So that verse 4 is powerful. Because that verse 4 is saying, if you're born again, born from above, you've already been given the victory. Listen, next part of it. How do I obtain the victory? Through my faith. Through my faith. So that's what this verse says. Verse 4, in the context of the Greek language, says, If you're born of God, you've already been given victory over the world. How do you overcome this world? You overcome it by your faith. So how do I obtain it? By my faith. Say, by my faith. It's by my faith that I overcome enduring hardship and challenges that come in this world. Number three, your faith in God, nobody else's. Your faith in God, again, back to what even Donna stated, so powerful, doing what he said, is the way that you overcome this present world. That's how you overcome this present world. If somebody wrongs you and you don't forgive, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go through some hard times. Because you're not doing what the Bible said. So you're going to drag yourself through all this stuff of what they did to you, causing more hardship in your life than what obviously God intended for you to go through simply because you won't do what the Bible says and put faith in Him. How many know His Word works? I say, how many know His Word works? Romans 5. Come on, I know you're familiar with these studies. We do look at a lot of verses, but it's, on, it's by intention. This is not as much about uh, preaching as it is line upon line teaching to help you get an understanding of the topic of what we're talking about. Every one of these topics you could take and spend weeks or months teaching on, but, but having an outline, you really got what you need. If you'll take it and use it and start applying it and, apply it and learn to develop it more in your life, you'll see it work for you. Romans chapter 5, number 4 in your notes. Mature believers always glory in tribulations. Think about that. What do mature believers do? They glory in tribulations or rejoice when tribulations come. Here's why. Underline it. Because they already know the outcome. <laughs> See, if I'm a mature believer, I already know the outcome of this challenge. Are you listening? If I'm a mature believer and something comes at me, how am I going to overcome? How am I, I going to overcome? So my faith is in who? My faith is in God, what Jesus did for me. It's not in me. 
He's already, he's already won the victory for me. So do I not know the outcome if I walk by faith? Sure I do. What's the outcome? I win. Why? Because he's already made me a winner. If you know you're already a winner in the midst of the battle, what should you be doing? How hard is it to rejoice when you know the outcome? You know, it'd be like a football team going into a game knowing we're already going to win. There's no way we can lose. It's not possible. And they could be down like by umpteen, you know, points at the uh, start of the fourth quarter. But you know what? If they already know the outcome, they already know the end from the beginning. Right? They already know what's going to happen at the end from the beginning because they know, obviously, who's helping them to win the victory in the sense of it was supernatural in that aspect. Then guess what they're going to do? They're going to rejoice through the whole thing because they already know the outcome. Hallelujah. Believers should know the outcome because 1 John chapter 5 already told you the outcome. We, over, we win. If we walk by faith, what do we do? We win. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, the minute you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were what? Justified, made right with God. We have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom, we, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. What's that referring to? He's talking to believers. Wait a minute, I thought I already, I thought I already received this grace when I got born again. There's more grace to be had. Grace is what? Heaven's help. Notice again, he said, through whom also we have access by faith into what? Into this grace, heaven's help, in which we stand. How are you going to stand? Based on what God's done for you. And therefore, what do we do? We rejoice, come on, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in what? An expectation of good to come because of the manifest God whom we serve and what He has done for us. Verse 3, not only that, but we also glory in what? Come on, somebody. What do we glory in? Now see, when's the last time you gloried when a tribulation came? By all the smiles on your face, I would say that's probably not very often. But the more mature you are as a believer, I'm going to read your notes again. Number four, mature believers always glory in tribulations because they already know the outcome. So my rejoicing proves that I already know the outcome. And therefore, as a mature believer, knowing that I will walk in victory by faith in my God, I have no reason to be down. I have no reason to be depressed. I have no reason to be frustrated, fearful, worried. What should I be doing? I glory in tribulation. What does tribulation do? Just test my faith to show how strong my faith is and how great my God is. So again, notice this. Not only that, verse 3, but we also glory in tribulations knowing... See, you should know this. Knowing that tribulation does what? It produces perseverance. And perseverance there just means consistency. You're consistent. If you've got faith in a tribulation, you'll be consistent to get through it. That consistency, perseverance, verse 4, also brings about what? Character. And character brings about what? Hope. So remember, you're not going to know the true character of your own life and your trust in God without these tribulations. Verse 5, notice, hope does not disappoint. What's hope? An expectation of good to come. Wait a minute, if you already know the outcome, guess what you have? An expectation. Because you already know the outcome. Come on, somebody. Hope doesn't disappoint. It doesn't disappoint. If it's in God, it doesn't disappoint. Why? Because, watch, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why would he all of a sudden say, talking about going through battles, that we should glory in these tribulations, and that this hope and expectation of what we know of the outcome that's good to come is going to be good. Why is it all of a sudden he throws in there? And we know this because the love of God's been poured out into our heart. How, what's the proof that my God is going to help me walk in victory? Because his love has been proven to you. Jesus dying for you, which won your victory, was God's proof of love. What is the greatest actual picture we have in the earth of God's love? This is it right here. Two hands stretched out on the cross saying, this is how much I love you. Amen? And because he did that and he poured that love out on your hearts, he loves you so much, he gave you the way to victory through Jesus Christ. 
So thank God we can walk in victory if we choose to do what? Glory and tribulation. The only way you're going to glory in tribulation is you've got to know what? Got to know the outcome before the actual uh, end actually takes place. 4A, with every tribulation, persecution, and temptation come growth. Think about that. Come growth, experience, and what? Seasoning. Listen to that. With every tribulation, if you handle it biblically, if you handle it biblically, you get in faith, you stay in faith, you build your faith if you need to, but you keep rejoicing. You think about the outcome. You know the end from the beginning. You know what the Bible says. I've already been given victory over the world. With every such tribulation, you can also rejoice knowing that these tribulations, persecutions, and temptations, what do they cause? They cause growth. They cause me to become stronger as a believer. Because every time I exercise my faith in God biblically and I see victory come, guess what that does to you? It brings you, strong, it brings you a growth as a Christian to become a stronger believer. It brings growth. It also brings what? Experience. Because now once you face a hardship, you know how to deal with that type of hardship. It comes again. You know what to do, you know what to do next time. Amen. Amen. So with it comes experience and also what? Seasoning. You become a, a, a very much more seasoned believer. 4B, even though God isn't the one who causes the pressured times, guess what? He does get right in the furnace with us. Aren't you glad? He doesn't cause it to happen, but you're never alone. This is so critical to me for believers in, in the day we live in that are allowing themselves to get lonely. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're lonely, it's because you're not aware of who you're actually living with and who's living with you. God's in you. You're in God. You're not alone. You're a spirit. You're not a body. Everywhere you go, you're a carrier of God. So you're not alone. And therefore, he's in the fire with you. Amen? He's in the furnace with you. 4C, Jesus did not pray to the Father. Listen, he did not pray to the Father to rapture his disciples before they faced any hard times. Did he? He did not. Notice what he did pray. You ready? But he did pray that we would have the strength and the character to go through them. Because he knows we're going to face them. He knows we're not going to escape them. But thank God he prayed we would get through them. 4D, you can always, always, at all times, make it through anything that you're going through. Jesus will always give you the victory. You do it the way the Bible says, stay in faith, you can make it through. How many, how many of by honest, honest truth, how many of by a show of hands could say, I've came through things in my life by faith in God that I really didn't think I would make it through at the time. So think about that. Amen. So anytime a hardship comes, what should you do? Be reminded of that and know the end from the beginning. Just like I got through that situation, God will get me through this one. All I got to do is stay in faith. Amen. I said, amen. Watch this. I love this. 4E. You ready? God has much more confidence in you than what you have in yourself. Because he knows who you really are. He knows who you really are. For F, if you never face any hardness, then your character would never stretch and grow. Because he said what happens through those hard times here? He said you build character and you build perseverance. Hebrews chapter 12. So let's go look at what the Bible actually talks about of the chastening or the discipline of God that I know everybody loves to hear about and wants a sermon every time they come to church on. But it's in the Bible, but it's not referring to what we're talking about because hardness or hardships and hard times in life aren't, be, aren't brought by God. They're not a way of discipline by God. Sadly, as many had been raised to believe, well, you know, God put this sickness on me to teach me something. You know what's so sad about that? You ever run into anybody like that that you know, thinks that God allowed this on them? This is what you ought to ask them. Did you go to the doctor? Yeah. Why? Why did you go to the doctor? Well, I'm trying to get better. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said God put this on you to teach you something. Why are you trying to get rid of it? Why would you try to get rid of something God put on you? If he put something on you to teach you something, shouldn't you just learn the lesson? Why would you try to get rid of it? See, they don't really believe it if you actually challenge them on it. Sadly, they've just been indoctrinated wrong. You listening? You got to be careful because you shouldn't look down on people like that. They've just been indoctrinated wrong. But that's how you can wake them up. Simple little things like that. I don't do it to, to belittle them. I do it to wake them up. I say, if God really wanted you to have this to teach you something, why would you try to get rid of it? Why not just say, hey, God, pour the suffering on even more. Teach me whatever I got to learn. But you're not. You're trying to get rid of it. 
You want to know why? That's inherent within your nature from God. God doesn't want you to have it. Are you listening? Because he didn't bring it to begin with. But God does discipline. He does discipline. I said he does discipline for our benefit. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. You're with me? Say amen. Notice, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Now, the word chastening there means the discipline. Chastening sounds like, you know, getting beat. But the word there is discipline. God's not beating you. God's not going to have you beaten. But he says you're not to despise the what? Disciplining of the Lord. Nor be discouraged. Underline that. Guess what mature believers don't do? They don't get discouraged when they're rebuked by him. Guess what immature believers do? They get discouraged when they're rebuked by him. What's rebuke mean? I've taught you this many times. What's rebuke mean? A revealing. See, rebuke means to unveil. So a rebuke is simply saying, hey, I need to show you something here. You're doing this. This is wrong. This is opposed to what God says. This is going to hurt your life. That's a form of rebuke. You listening? Rebuke isn't getting mad and putting somebody down hard and screaming at them. Jesus never did that. Rebuke is showing the wrong you're doing. When the woman was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus, and they all left, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say to her? I don't condemn you either. Wait a minute. What did he say after that? Go and sin no more. He's rebuking her there. Don't keep living this lifestyle because you'll hurt your life. He's unveiling to her this ain't good and this is going to hurt your life. A lot of people get discouraged when they get rebuked by the Lord. When God is revealing things about their life that's hurting their life, they don't like it because a lot of times they don't want to stop doing it. And they don't see how it's hurting their life at the time, but eventually it's going to. Verse 6, notice this. For whom the Lord loves, does he love you? Does he love you? For whom the Lord loves, what does he do? Oh, oh. And the word chasing there again means disciplines. He disciplines. If God loves you, and he does, Guess what he's going to do? He is going to discipline you. But that's not hardship. That's not hard times. That's not persecution. It's not tribulation. It's a whole different thing. And he scourges every son whom he what? Receives. Meaning again, he not only will obviously unveil the wrong. He will not only therefore bring to you discipline in relationship to what you're doing wrong, to say this is wrong, you need to correct it. Scourging means, guess what I'm going to do? I am going to bring some pain into your life in the flesh through this discipline to get you to get out of it. Pain is not beating you, right? Question, when you actually hear something in the Bible that's truth, that actually is truth from the Word of God, and you're doing it, and the Bible says you shouldn't, Is it fun to hear that? Is it painful? What's it painful to? Your flesh. That's the scourging part. It's going to obviously be painful to your flesh because your flesh don't want to hear that. Right? Your flesh don't want to hear, go forgive that person that just wronged you. Your flesh don't want to hear, go bless that person that just spoke evil of you. Go bless them. Find a way to bless them. Pray for them. I ain't praying for that person, you kidding, but the Bible told you to. So you got to realize that's what he's talking about. Verse 7, if you endure, in other words, you go through it successfully, chastening, discipline, God is dealing with you as what? As with sons. What's, What's the reference to sons here? I've taught you this before. You're being fathered by God. You're listening to his correction. You're receiving it. See, in the eyes of God, you're not just, you're, you're, you're a, listen, you're a believer, you're a child of God. So I'm a child of God. But what makes you a son? I receive his correction. Right? What does is, what is the book of Romans tell us? All who follow the leading of the Holy Spirit are sons of God. Because if you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, who are you actually listening to and whose direction and correction are you following in your life? God's. So you're allowing him to father you. He's a good father. So the term son here means I'm allowing God to tell me what to do. Want to make it a simple statement? That's what it means. I'm not going to be, quote unquote, the one who's going to live my life the way I think I should. I'm going to let God father me. I'm going to be a good son. So if you endure this discipline, God's dealing with you as a son. For what son is there whom a father does not again chasten or the word again discipline. Verse 8. But if you are without this disciplining, chastening, of which all have become partakers, then guess what? You're illegitimate and not sons. Didn't say you're not born again. Just means he's not fathering you. 
You can claim, oh, God's my father. I'll guarantee you, anybody who says God's my father and God is deliberately trying to correct them through his word in an area of their life that they're not living right and they know it and yet they keep claiming God as their father, guess what God says? You're illegitimate. You're not a true son. You think you are, you say you are, but you're not because you won't receive my correction. How can I father you when you won't receive my correction? So in essence, you're really illegitimate. Didn't say you're not a child of God. You're not a son of God. You're not being fathered by God. Got that? So again, notice this, verse 8. If we are without this chastening of which all have become partakers, then we would be what? We would be illegitimate and we would therefore not be what? Sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more be readily, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and what? Live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our what? Why does he do it? He does it for your profit. Watch, that we may be partakers of what? His holiness set apart from the world, 11. Now no chastening, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, does it? No, it doesn't. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward, what does it do? It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So tribulation, persecution, hardship, hard times is not discipline. It's not God's correction. You listening? That's the world that you live in. That's going to be what actually you're going to experience because of the fall and because of the enemy that you have that's out here arrayed against you. But God does discipline. It too is not a lot of fun, but if you deal with the flesh part of you that doesn't like it and your spirit man rises up and submits to it and put your flesh in line, guess what? You're going to be glad you did because the outcome is always going to be good. Number five, many people therefore do what? They confuse the Lord's chastening with the enemy's attack. Don't do that. Do not confuse what is God's discipline or chastening as an attack of the enemy, and don't confuse an attack of the enemy as God disciplining or chastening me. Many do, and we should not do so. God's discipline isn't stealing anything from you. It isn't to kill you. It is not to destroy your life. But what Satan comes to do is to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, 5a, the attacks of Satan, just plain hard times, and also the chastening of the Lord, they're not pleasurable for the season that you're going through them, are they? But 5b, God never tempts, tests, or does any evil in your life for any purpose whatsoever. Never has, never will. 5c, we do not become discouraged when we are what? Rebuke. 5d, because God's chastening yields what? Fruit of righteousness in our life. 5e, the the evil oppression actually matures us because God does what in the midst of it? He delivers us. 5F, so whether it's the enemy's attack or our Lord's chastening, we can endure it all, uh, excuse me, we can endure it by all means. Besides, too many uh, souls need to be saved for us to get what? For us to get postponed in anything. Meaning what? There are lives on the line. Or we got people to win to the Lord. So we need to be about the Father's business. Amen? Now, real quick, I want to give you this for your notes because some may have never known it, never been taught it. Exactly how does God correct us? Three ways. So when we have God's correction comes to us, how do we know it's God's correction? Three ways. One, Word of God. Primary way, God corrects you. Word of God. You go to the Word of God, and what He's doing, He's showing you things that He has for your life. Anything in that Word that obviously you're not doing and you're allowing your flesh to rule you, He's trying to correct you. Now, if you ignore it, you're not going to get the benefit. So automatically the word's going to correct you because the word is truth. It's the only way to live. It's obviously God's ways, which are higher than ours, better than ours. And that's why we choose his ways over ours, because that's going to lead us down a better pathway. But your flesh won't like it. So understand, number one, he, he disciplines us through the word. Number two, he also disciplines us through what? Leadership. Leadership. Now, I don't mean leadership coming to you contrary to the words. not what I'm talking about. Leadership should never try to correct you without the word. Never, ever, never. Godly leadership, yeah, thank you. Godly leadership should never correct you without the word. Now, let me help you with something, okay? We've talked about this briefly. At some point, I've got to get back on this and teach this in this series, but I want you to understand this. We're, talking, we're not talking about elders. Don's not here to correct you. Don don't want to correct you. 
Don's here to encourage you. Don's here to be a strength to your life. Don's here to love on you. Don's here to pray for you. He's to do all those things that elders to do with my hands extended to you to be a blessing to you. But he's not to correct you. Godly leadership corrects. You listening? I'll give you an example. He's your brother in the Lord. Yes, I'm your brother in the Lord, but I've also been called out twice. I was called out from the world just like you were to be a brother and sister in the Lord. But I was also called out to be leadership. The book of Hebrews says, I'm to watch out for your soul. If I'm watching out for your soul, that means I'm going to be telling you things that the Bible says because I don't want you to get caught up in deception and have Satan take advantage of your life. But leadership should never discipline, godly leadership should never discipline you from you apart from the Word. But the Word of God says if you don't submit to that leadership, you're rejecting God's correction. Many do. Many do. What they do is they say, well, that's what they say. Well, wait a minute. Is what they said what God said? Because then it ain't what they said. Well, I know pastor said that, but wait a minute. Did pastor really say that? Or is he actually just referring to what the Bible said? If he's referring to what the Bible said, God's using your leadership, who's watching out for your soul to try to protect you, to bring correction to your life. Not like, hey, let me come correct you on this. You'll get all the correction you need as a believer, primarily if you just show up in church and receive the word of God. Amen. I, I, Gabby, like I talked about, you know, Laney's daughter during the pastor appreciation thing. Name one thing that pastors taught you that you would pass on your kids. Well, if you need help, you probably should come to church because God's going to tell a pastor what to speak. So obviously he can help you. Holy Spirit's going to tell him what to speak so he can give you the help you need. But it's got to be received. It's got to be received. Amen. What's the third way that he corrects us? You ready? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a corrector. He's a teacher. He's our teacher. Now again, how do I know the Holy Spirit's correcting me? How do I know? Lines up with the Word. All this comes back to the Word. The Word of itself is a corrector. Leadership is a corrector. The Holy Spirit is a corrector. But the Holy Spirit would never correct you apart from the Word. So what He would reveal to you would be in line with the Word of God. Holy Spirit inside you is your teacher. He Himself can reveal things to you that you're doing wrong. Aren't you glad? That will help correct you. So understand, that's how correction from God comes. Amen? Amen. But it's always got to be in line with what? The Word. Word of God. Don't ever receive godly correction from some leader that's in your life that they can't bring a scripture to you and say, I guarantee you, I know you say that it's okay to do that, but I got, a, I got multiple verses here that say otherwise. Amen. Let's look what the Word of God says. Amen. And if you'll receive it, now it's not going to be fun when you first hear it. Right. No discipline is joyful for the moment. The flesh is saying, oh, I don't want to hear this. So your flesh is rebelling. Your flesh is trying to get you up and leave the room. Your flesh is what's going to get you mad at your pastor. God's not going to get you mad at your pastor. How many people leave churches mad at the pastor? Let me help you. God didn't do that. God's not going to get you mad at a pastor to leave. Right? What gets people mad? Uh, pastor Barclay was teaching on it Thursday night in their church. I was listening to it this afternoon. So I always like to catch up if I miss him. And he was saying, you know, it's amazing how people came to my church, walked in the door. I tell them, don't ever tell me this ever again, new people to my church. Don't come up and tell me, this is such a great church. You're such a wonderful pastor. This is so, I so love the word here. You so teach the word so good. I'm so grateful that you're here to teach us the word. Da, 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 da. What happened a year, three years, five years, ten years down the road that I now became the dirty dog? One day I was the great teacher that was helping you, and now I'm a dirty dog. And you, and you say, I've changed what I'm teaching? Let's go back and prove it. Let's go look at what, we got everything recorded. Let's go back and bring it up and find out if it actually did change. Or maybe somebody else changed. So understand, correction's good if we receive it. Amen? All right, Hebrews 10, 35. Hebrews 10, 35. See, Kathy gave me that pastoral wife stare that got me preaching a little longer on that than I should have. So now I'm going to have to hurry. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 10. I'm just joking. Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore, do not cast away your... Come on. Do not cast away your... That means you can. He tells you not to because you can. Do not cast away your confidence, which has what? What does it have? Woo! I think if it has a great reward, I better find out what this is and not cast it away. And in a hard time, it's the most critical time for me to have it in my life. Watch this. Number six, we must learn to fight to keep our confidence for that is what presents to us a great reward. Does anybody remember what I taught you the Greek wording states there of what's stated not casting away your confidence? 
Remember the word for confidence there? So you should put a note in your Bible right now next to there. What's the word confidence mean? You ready? You are agreeing with the truth. You are verbally agreeing with the truth. How do you not cast away your confidence? You keep speaking the word. You keep speaking the word. See, not casting away your confidence doesn't mean, oh, I got to stay confident. I got to remain confident. If I can just stay confident, I just need to be confident. That's not going to cause you to not cast away your confidence. The word confidence there means to maintain a faithful confession to the word. Don't cast away speaking what God's word says because it has great reward. Amen? Don't lose your confession, in other words. Hold tight to what the word of God says. Last one, Acts 15. Acts 15. Glory to God. I keep working on myself to shorten these, but I'm not winning, just so you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a good job of that. I'm trying, but I'm not. Acts 15, I'll freely admit it, freely admit it. Acts 15, number seven on your notes, you got to remember that the reason that Paul and Barnabas separated and should never have, they were called to be together. But they separated. They separated their ministries was because of the weakness of somebody called John Mark. A young preacher and a relative of Barnabas. Acts 15, we've taught this many times, verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined, say determined. But this is not a good determined. This is not a good determined. This isn't like determined to get through a hardship. What was he determined to do? He was determined to take with them John called Mark. This was a relative of his. They are now about to go back to the actual cities where, uh, I'm talking about Paul and Barnabas, to where they had already started uh, churches and initiated the gospel. They're about to go back and fortify those churches. John Mark went with them on the first trip. What happened? About somewhere in the middle of the trip, he bailed. These boys are being threatened to be killed every day. This isn't just easy preaching. Everybody loves hearing our message. You kidding me? They're getting run out of towns. They're getting threatened all the time. John Mark freaks out and goes home. He wasn't prepared. He wasn't ready. So he goes home. So now they're about to go back to these churches, right? Back to all these churches. Barnabas is determined to take John Mark, verse 38. But Paul insisted, say Paul insisted. Watch this. Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had what? Departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. He wasn't prepared. Now, was Paul being mean here about John Mark? What was Paul doing? He was doing two things. He was trying to protect him and Barnabas' life, and he was trying to protect John Mark's life. Because he knew John Mark is not mature enough yet to deal with the kind of persecution that we're facing. He's already bailed once. That doesn't mean he won't be. And how many know at the end of his life he did? He did mature. He did grow. Paul's in prison. Prison. He writes a letter to Timothy. You know what he says? He says, bring John Mark with you. He is now profitable for me in the gospel. But at that time, he just wasn't mature enough. I mean, it'd be like going into foreign lands today. There are places in the world today where if you go to preach the gospel and you don't know what you're doing, you may not come out alive. You listening? If you don't know your authority in God and you're an immature believer, there are people still martyred and killed because they don't know Obviously, their authority in God. They're not walking like what Terry Mize knows to walk in and therefore walk in that authority God's given them. And many lose their lives. Well, this was the day of Paul and Barnabas. This is what they're facing. So Paul says, listen, man, we can't take him to go on with us because he stopped going the first time. He's not prepared. 39. Notice this. The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. So he just went and did his own thing. Now, in the midst of this contention, how should they have settled this? How should they have settled this? Who's right? How, how are we going to prove who's right here? Real simple. You have leadership over your life, Paul. You have leadership over your life, Barnabas. Right? The initial 11 disciples. That's who Paul was submitted to. You're going to see it in a minute. That's who Paul was listening to. Right? God set it up this way. So in the case of where they've got this contentious argument between two leaders that are supposed to be doing ministry together, where do you go? Leadership above them. You go to the leadership above them and you find out who's wrong here. Who's right here. And you honor that leadership because God gave that leadership to also protect those that you're looking to. Any amens on that? 
Notice this, verse 40. But Paul did what? He chose Silas. We've taught this whole story for before. It's powerful. Remember Silas had a leading of the Lord to stay behind for some reason? This was why. God already knew what was going to go on. Notice this. But Paul chose Silas and he departed, going where they were supposed to, commended, underline it, commended by the brethren to the grace of God. What brethren? The initial 11 disciples in Jerusalem. So who got the endorsement that he was doing the right thing? Paul did. God's leadership of that day who was over Paul said, Paul, you chose the right thing. Silas was a part of the confirmation of that because Silas, again, by the leading of the Holy Spirit up before this, for some reason felt led to stay there instead of going back with the rest as they were departing and go back to Jerusalem. And this is why. God knew what was about to happen. Say, God's smarter than us. So verse 41, he went through what? Paul went through Syria, Cilicia, and he did, the, did so strengthening the churches. What was he doing? Now, he couldn't have strengthened those churches if he'd been out of the will of God. Are you listening? If he was in rebellion against God, there would have been no anointing on him to strengthen those churches. So, 7A on your notes. John Mark, nothing against him at the time. But guess what? He was not tough enough on his first trip with Paul. So, Paul was not eager to, to uh, work with him uh, uh, that next time, that immediate next time. I remember hearing Summerall talk many times, man. He'd have a lot of young ministers come up to him and say, Man, when you go on your next missions trip, he knew them. Like, you know, they'd been in his school. Man, when you go on your next missions trip, Dr. Summerall, I'll carry your bag. I'll be your armor bearer. I'll do whatever you want. I'd love to go with you. I ain't taking you in a, for a moment. And they said, why not? He said, you're an immature baby Christian. What? Yeah, you whine and complain about everything. You, compl- you can't hardly pay your tuition. You're saying God's not going to get you through the school. You're thinking you ain't going to make it through the school. You want me to take you on the mission field where people want to kill you and take your life? Son, you wouldn't last a day. You know what I'd have to do? I'd have to be wet nursing you the whole time. How am I going to get done what God's called me to do if I'm sitting here having to try to protect you the whole time? I need mature believers who know what they're doing that can go be a help to me, not a hindrance to me. Because we're going into a war zone like you've never seen before. 7B, John Mark was not tough enough at the time to preach when the going got tough. So guess what? Someone else had to cover his duties. 7C, having tough men around Paul was important enough that he broke his partnership with Barnabas over it because what he was doing was obeying God. Amen. Amen. So you can endure hardness if you just apply these truths to your life. One of the greatest truths is to remember this. I know the end from the beginning. Come on. I know the end from the beginning. If I choose to walk by faith, I already know how this will come out. Come on, somebody help me preach in closing. If I walk by faith, if you walk by Bible faith, what's the resolve? What's the resolve? I'm coming out of this. I'm coming through it victorious. So you should already know that. Hallelujah. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.